Section 15 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 15 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. Book the First, Chapter 15. Two New Servants Mr. and Mrs. Boffin sat after breakfast in the bower, a prey to prosperity. Mr. Boffin's face denoted care and complication. Many disordered papers were before him, and he looked at them about as hopefully as an innocent civilian might look at a crowd of troops whom he was required at five minutes' notice to maneuver and review. He had been engaged in some attempts to make notes of these papers, but being troubled, as men of his stamp often are, with an exceedingly distrustful and corrective thumb, that busy member had so often interposed to smear his notes that they were little more legible than the various impressions of itself, which blurred his nose and forehead. It is curious to consider, in such a case as Mr. Boffin's, what a cheap article ink is, and how far it may be made to go. As a grain of musk will scent a drawer for many years, and still lose nothing appreciable of its original weight, so a halfpenny worth of ink would blot Mr. Boffin to the roots of his hair and the calves of his legs, without inscribing a line on the paper before him, or appearing to diminish in the inkstand. Mr. Boffin was in such severe literary difficulties that his eyes were prominent and fixed, and his breathing was stertorous, when, to the great relief of Mrs. Boffin, who observed these symptoms with alarm, the yard-bell rang. "'Who's that, I wonder?' said Mrs. Boffin. Mr. Boffin drew a long breath, laid down his pen, looked at his notes, as doubting whether he had the pleasure of their acquaintance, and appeared, on a second perusal of their countenances, to be confirmed in his impression that he had not, when there was announced by the hammer-headed young man, Mr. Rokesmith. "'Ah!' said Mr. Boffin. "'Oh, indeed. Our and the Wilfer's mutual friend, my dear. Yes, ask him to come in.' Mr. Rokesmith appeared. "'Sit down, sir,' said Mr. Boffin, shaking hands with him. "'Mrs. Boffin, you're already acquainted with?' "'Well, sir, I am rather unprepared to see you, for, to tell you the truth, I've been so busy with one thing and another that I've not had the time to turn your offer over.' "'That's an apology for both of us, for Mr. Boffin and for me as well,' said the smiling Mrs. Boffin. "'But, Lor, we can talk it over now, can't us?' Mr. Rokesmith bowed, thanked her, and said he hoped so. "'Let me see, then,' resumed Mr. Boffin, with his hand to his chin. "'It was secretary that you named, wasn't it?' "'I said secretary,' assented Mr. Rokesmith. "'It rather puzzled me at the time,' said Mr. Boffin, "'and it rather puzzled me and Mrs. Boffin when we spoke of it afterwards, "'because, not to make a mystery of our belief, "'we have always believed a secretary to be a piece of furniture, "'mostly of mahogany, lined with green baize or leather, "'and a lot of little drawers in it. "'Now, you won't think I take a liberty when I mention that you certainly ain't that.' "'Certainly not,' said Mr. Rokesmith, but he had used the word in the sense of steward. 
why as to steward you see returned mr boffin with his hand still to his chin the odds are that mrs boffin and me may never go upon the water being both bad sailors we should want a steward if we did but there's generally one provided mr rokesmith again explained defining the duties he sought to undertake as those of a general superintendent or manager or overlooker or man of business now for instance come said mr boffin in his pouncing way if you entered my employment what would you do i would keep exact accounts of all the expenditure you sanctioned mr boffin i would write your letters under your direction i would transact your business with people in your pay or employment i would with a glance and half smile at the table arrange your papers mr boffin rubbed his inky ear and looked at his wife and so arrange them as to have them always in order for immediate reference with a note of the contents of each outside it i tell you what said mr boffin slowly crumpling his own blotted note in his hand if you'll turn too at these present papers and see what you can make of em i shall know better what i can make of you no sooner said than done relinquishing his hat and gloves mr rokesmith sat down quietly at the table arranged the open papers into an orderly heap cast his eyes over each in succession folded it docketed it on the outside laid it in a second heap and when that second heap was complete and the first gone took from his pocket a piece of string and tied it together with a remarkably dexterous hand at a running curve and a loop good said mr boffin very good now let us hear what they're all about will you be so good john rokesmith read his abstracts aloud they were all about the new house decorators estimate so much furniture estimate so much estimate for furniture of offices so much coachmaker's estimate so much horse dealer's estimate so much harness maker's estimate so much goldsmith's estimate so much total so very much then came correspondence acceptance of mr boffin's offer of such a date and to such an effect rejection of mr boffin's proposal of such a date and to such an effect concerning mr boffin's scheme of such another date and to such another effect all compact and methodical apple pie orders said mr boffin after checking off each inscription with his hand like a man beating time and whatever you do with your ink i can't think for you're as clean as a whistle after it now as to a letter let's said mr boffin rubbing his hands in his pleasantly childish admiration let's try a letter next to whom shall it be addressed mr boffin anyone uh, yourself mr rokesmith quickly wrote and then read aloud mr boffin presents his compliments to mr john rokesmith and begs to say that he has decided on giving mr john rokesmith a trial in the capacity he desires to fill mr boffin takes mr john rokesmith at his word in postponing to some indefinite period the consideration of salary it is quite understood that mr boffin is in no way committed on that point mr boffin has merely to add that he relies on mr john rokesmith's assurance that he will be faithful and serviceable mr john rokesmith will please enter on his duties immediately well now naughty cried mrs boffin clapping her hands that is a good one 
Mr. Boffin was no less delighted. Indeed, in his own bosom he regarded both the composition itself and the device that had given birth to it as a very remarkable monument of human ingenuity. "'And I tell you, my dearie,' said Mrs. Boffin, "'that if you don't close with Mr. Rokesmith now at once, "'and if you ever go a-muddling yourself again "'with things never meant or made for you, "'you'll have an apoplexy. "'Besides iron-molding your linen, "'and you'll break my heart.' Mr. Boffin embraced his spouse for these words of wisdom, and then, congratulating Mr. John Rokesmith on the brilliancy of his achievements, gave him his hand in pledge of their new relations. So did Mrs. Boffin. "'Now,' said Mr. Boffin, who in his frankness felt that it did not become him to have a gentleman in his employment five minutes without reposing some confidence in him, "'you must be let a little more into our affairs, Rokesmith.' I mentioned to you when I made your acquaintance, or I might better say when you made mine, that Mrs. Boffin's inclinations was setting in the way of fashion, but that I didn't know how fashionable we might or might not grow. Well, Mrs. Boffin has carried the day, and we're going in neck and crop for fashion. I rather inferred that, sir, replied John Rokesmith, from the scale on which your new establishment is to be maintained. Yes, said Mr. Boffin, it's to be a spanker. The fact is, my literary man named to me that a house with which he is, as I may say, connected, in which he has an interest. As property, inquired John Rokesmith. Why, no, said Mr. Boffin, not exactly that. A sort of a family tie. Association, the secretary suggested. Ah, said Mr. Boffin, perhaps. Anyhow, he named to me that the house had a board up this eminently aristocratic mansion to be let or sold. Me and Mrs. Boffin went to look at it, and finding it beyond a doubt eminently aristocratic, though a trifle high and dull, which after all might be part of the same thing, took it. My literary man was so friendly as to drop into a charming piece of poetry on that occasion, in which he complimented Mrs. Boffin on coming into possession of, How did it go, my dear? Mrs. Boffin replied, the gay, the gay and festive scene, the halls, the halls of dazzling light. That's it, and it was made neater by there really being two halls in the house, a frontin' and a backin', besides the servants. He likewise dropped into a very pretty piece of poetry, to be sure, respecting the extent to which he would be willing to put himself out of the way to bring Mrs. Boffin round, in case she should ever get low in her spirits in the house. Mrs. Boffin has a wonderful memory. "'Will you repeat it, my dear?' Mrs. Boffin complied by reciting the verses in which this obliging offer had been made, exactly as she had received them. "'I'll tell thee how the maiden wept, Mrs. Boffin, when her true love was slain, ma'am, and how her broken spirit slept, Mrs. Boffin, and never woke again, ma'am. I'll tell thee, if agreeable to Mr. Boffin, how the steed drew nigh, and left his lord afar, and if my tale, which I hope Mr. Boffin might excuse, should make you sigh, I'll strike the light guitar. Correct to the letter, said Mr. Boffin, and I consider that the poetry brings us both in in a beautiful manner. The effect of the poem on the secretary being evidently to astonish him, Mr. Boffin was confirmed in his high opinion of it, and was greatly pleased. Now you see, Rokesmith, he went on, a literary man, with a wooden leg, is liable to jealousy. I shall therefore cast about for comfortable ways and means of not calling up Wegg's jealousy, but of keeping you in your department 
and keeping him in his. "'Lor!' cried Mrs. Boffin. "'What I say is, the world's wide enough for all of us.' "'So it is, my dear,' said Mr. Boffin, "'when not literary. But when so, not so. And I am bound to bear in mind that I took Wegg on at a time when I had no thought of being fashionable or of leaving the bower. To let him feel himself any ways slighted now would be to be guilty of a meanness.' and to act like having one's head turned by the halls of dazzling light, which Lord forbid. Rokesmith, what shall we say about your living in the house? In this house? No, no, I have got other plans for this house. In the new house. That will be as you please, Mr. Boffin. I hold myself quite at your disposal. You know where I live at present. Well, said Mr. Boffin, after considering the point, suppose you keep as you are for the present, and we'll decide by and by. "'You'll begin to take charge at once of all that's going on in the new house, will you?' "'Most willingly. I will begin this very day. Will you give me the address?' Mr. Boffin repeated it, and the secretary wrote it down in his pocket-book. Mrs. Boffin took the opportunity of his being so engaged to get a better observation of his face than she had yet taken. It impressed her in his favour, for she nodded aside to Mr. Boffin. "'I like him.' I will see directly that everything is in train, Mr. Boffin. Thank ye. Being here, would you care at all to look around the bower? I should greatly like it. I have heard so much of its story. Come, said Mr. Boffin, and he and Mrs. Boffin led the way. A gloomy house, the bower, with sordid signs on it of having been, through its long existence as Harmony Jail, in miserly holding bare of paint bare of paper on the walls bare of furniture bare of experience of human life whatever is built by man for man's occupation must like natural creations fulfil the intention of its existence or soon perish this old house had wasted more from desuetude than it would have wasted from use twenty years for one a certain leanness falls upon houses not sufficiently imbued with life as if they were nourished upon it, which was very noticeable here. The staircase, balustrades, and rails had a spare look, an air of being denuded to the bone, which the panels of the walls and the jams of the doors and windows also bore. The scanty movables partook of it, save for the cleanliness of the place, the dust into which they were all resolving would have lain thick on the floors and those, both in colour and grain, were worn like old faces that had kept much alone. The bedroom, where the clutching old man had lost his grip on life, was left as he had left it. There was the old grisly four-post bedstead without hangings, and with a jail-like upper rim of iron and spikes, and there was the old patchwork counterpane. There was the tight-clenched old bureau, receding atop like a bad and secret forehead. There was the cumbersome old table with twisted legs at the bedside, and there was the box upon it in which the will had lain. A few old chairs with patchwork covers, under which the more precious stuff to be preserved had slowly lost its quality of color without imparting pleasure to any eye, stood against the wall. A hard family likeness was on all these things. The room was kept like this, Roke Smith, said Mr. Boffin, against the son's return. In short, everything in the house was kept exactly as it came to us for him to see and approve. Even now nothing is changed but our own room below stairs that you have just left. When the son came home for the last time in this life, and for the last time in his life saw his father, it was most likely in this room that they met. 
as the secretary looked all round it his eyes rested on a side door in a corner another staircase said mr boffin unlocking the door leading down into the yard we'll go down this way as you might like to see the yard and it's all in the road when the son was a little child it was up and down these stairs that he mostly came and went to his father he was very timid of his father i've seen him sit on these stairs in his shy way poor child many a time mr and mrs boffin have comforted him sitting with his little book on these stairs often ah and his poor sister too said mrs boffin and here's the sunny place on the white wall where they one day measured one another their own little hands wrote up their names there only with a pencil but the names are here still and the poor dears gone forever we must take care of the names old lady said mr boffin we must take care of the names they shan't be rubbed out in our time nor yet if we can help it in the time after us poor little children ah poor little children said mrs boffin they had opened the door at the bottom of the staircase giving on the yard and they stood in the sunlight looking at the scrawl of the two unsteady childish hands two or three steps up the staircase there was something in this simple memento of a blighted childhood and in the tenderness of mrs boffin that touched the secretary mr boffin then showed his new man of business the mounds and his own particular mound which had been left him as his legacy under the will before he acquired the whole estate it would have been enough for us said mr boffin in case it had pleased god to spare the last of those two young lives and sorrowful deaths we didn't want the rest at the treasures of the yard and at the outside of the house and at the detached building which mr boffin pointed out as the residence of himself and his wife during the many years of their service the secretary looked with interest it was not until mr boffin had shown him every wonder of the bower twice over that he remembered his having duties to discharge elsewhere you have no instructions to give me mr boffin in reference to this place not any roke smith no might i ask without seeming impertinent whether you have any intention of selling it certainly not in remembrance of our old master our old master's children and our old service me and mrs boffin mean to keep it up as it stands the secretary's eyes glanced with so much meaning in them at the mounds that mr boffin said as if in answer to a remark ay ay that's another thing i may sell them though i should be sorry to see the neighbourhood deprived of em too it'll look but a poor dead flat without the mounds still i don't say that i'm going to keep em always there for the sake of the beauty of the landscape there's no hurry about it that's all i say at present i ain't a scholar in much rokesmith but i'm a pretty fair scholar in dust i can price the mounds to a fraction and i know how they can be best disposed of and likewise that they take no harm by standing where they do you'll look in to-morrow will you be so kind every day and the sooner i can get you into your new house complete the better you will be pleased sir well it ain't that i'm in a mortal hurry said mr boffin only when you do pay people for looking alive it's as well to know that they are looking alive ain't that your opinion quite replied the secretary and so withdrew now said mr boffin to himself subsiding into his regular series of turns in the yard if i can make it comfortable with wegg my affairs will be going smooth the man of low cunning had of course acquired a mastery over the man of high simplicity the mean man had of course got the better of the generous man how long such conquests last is another matter 
that they are achieved is everyday experience not even to be flourished away by podsnappery itself the undesigning boffin had become so far enmeshed by the wily wag that his mind misgave him he was a very designing man indeed and purposing to do more for wag it seemed to him so skilful was wag that he was plotting darkly when he was contriving to do the very thing that wag was plotting to get him to do and thus while he was mentally turning the kindest of kind faces on wag this morning he was not absolutely sure but that he might somehow deserve the charge of turning his back on him for these reasons mr boffin passed but anxious hours until evening came and with it mr wegg stumping leisurely to the roman empire at about this period mr boffin had become profoundly interested in the fortunes of a great military leader known to him as bully sawyers but perhaps better known to fame and easier of identification by the classical student under the less britannic name of belisarius even this general's career paled in interest for mr boffin before the clearing of his conscience with wegg and hence when that literary gentleman had according to custom eaten and drunk until he was all aglow and when he took up his book with the usual chirping introduction and now mr boffin sir we'll decline and we'll fall mr boffin stopped him you remember wegg when i first told you that i wanted to make a sort of offer to you let me get on my considering cap sir replied that gentleman turning the open book face downward when you first told me that you wanted to make a sort of offer to me now let me think as if there were the least necessity yes to be sure i do mr boffin it was at my corner to be sure it was you had first asked me whether i liked your name and candour had compelled the reply in the negative case i little thought then sir how familiar that name would come to be i hope it will be more familiar still wegg do you mr boffin much obliged to you i'm sure is it your pleasure sir that we decline and we fall with a feint of taking up the book not just yet a while wegg in fact i have got another offer to make you mr wegg who had had nothing else in his mind for several nights took off his spectacles with an air of bland surprise and i hope you'll like it wegg thank you sir returned that reticent individual i hope it might prove so on all accounts i am sure this is a philanthropic aspiration what do you think said mr boffin of not keeping a stall wegg i think sir replied wegg that i should like to be shown the gentleman prepared to make it worth my while here he is said boffin mr wegg was going to say my benefactor and had said my bene when a grandiloquent change came over him no mr boffin not you sir anybody but you do not fear mr boffin that i shall contaminate the premises which your gold has bought with my lowly pursuits i am aware sir that it would not become me to carry on my little traffic under the windows of your mansion i have already thought of that and taken my measures no need to be bought out sir would stepney fields be considered intrusive if not remote enough i can go remoter in the words of the poet's song which i do not quite remember thrown on the wide world doomed to wander and roam bereft of my parents bereft of a home a stranger to something and what's his name joy behold little edmund the poor peasant boy and equally said mr wegg repairing the want of direct application in the last line behold myself on a similar footing now wegg 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 remonstrated the excellent boff you are too sensitive 
i know i am sir returned wegg with obstinate magnanimity i am acquainted with my faults i always was from a child too sensitive but listen pursued the golden dustman hear me out wegg you have taken it into your head that i mean to pension you off true sir returned wegg still with an obstinate magnanimity i am acquainted with my faults far be it from me to deny them i have taken it into my head but i don't mean it the assurance seemed hardly as comforting to mr wegg as mr boffin intended it to be indeed an appreciable elongation of his visage might have been observed as he replied don't you indeed sir no pursued mr boffin because that would express as i understand it that you are not going to do anything to deserve your money but you are you are that sir replied mr wegg cheering up bravely is quite another pair of shoes now my independence as a man is again elevated now i no longer weep for the hour when to boffins's bower the lord of the valley with offers came neither does the moon hide her light from the heavens to-night and weep behind her clouds or any individual in the present company's shame please to proceed mr boffin thank ye wegg both for your confidence in me and for your frequent dropping into poetry both of which is friendly well then my idea is that you should give up your stall and that i should put you into the bower here to keep it for us it's a pleasant spot and a man with coals and candles and a pound a week might be in clover here hem would that man sir we shall say that man for the purposes of argument mr wegg met a smiling demonstration of great perspicuity here would that man sir be expected to throw any other capacity in or would any other capacity be considered extra now let us for the purposes of argument suppose that man to be engaged as a reader say for the purposes of argument in the evening would that man's pay as a reader in the evening be added to the other amount which adopting your language we call clover or would it merge into that amount or clover well said boffin i suppose it would be added i suppose it would sir you are right sir exactly my own views mr boffin here wegg arose and balancing himself on his wooden leg fluttered over his prey with extended hand mr boffin consider it done say no more sir not a word more my stall and i are forever parted the collection of ballads will in future be reserved for private study with the object of making poetry tributary wegg was so proud of having found this word that he said it again with a capital letter tributary to friendship mr boffin don't allow yourself to be made uncomfortable by the pang it gives me to part from my stock and stall similar emotion was undergone by my own father when promoted for his merits from his occupation as a waterman to a situation under government his christian name was thomas his words at the time i was then an infant but so deep was their impression on me that i committed them to memory were then farewell my trim-built wherry oars and coat and badge farewell never more at chelsea ferry shall your thomas take a spell my father got over it mr boffin and so shall i while delivering these valedictory observations wegg continually disappointed mr boffin of his hand by flourishing it in the air he now darted it at his patron who took it and felt his mind relieved of a great weight observing that as they had arranged their joint affairs so satisfactorily he would now be glad to look into those of bully sawyers which indeed had been left overnight in a very unpromising posture 
and for whose impending expedition against the persians the weather had been by no means favourable all day mr wegg resumed his spectacles therefore but sawyer's was not to be of the party that night for before wegg had found his place mrs boffin's tread was heard upon the stairs so unusually heavy and hurried that mr boffin would have started up at the sound anticipating some occurrence much out of the common course even though she had not also called to him in an agitated tone mr boffin hurried out and found her on the dark staircase panting with a lighted candle in her hand what's the matter my dear i don't know i don't know but i wish you'd come upstairs much surprised mr boffin went upstairs and accompanied mrs boffin into their own room a second large room on the same floor as the room in which the late proprietor had died mr boffin looked all around him and saw nothing more unusual than various articles of folded linen on a large chest which mrs boffin had been sorting what is it my dear why you're frightened you frightened i am not one of that sort certainly said mrs boffin as she sat down in a chair to recover herself and took her husband's arm but it's very strange what is my dear naughty the faces of the old man and the two children are all over the house to-night my dear exclaimed mr boffin but not without a certain uncomfortable sensation gliding down his back i know it must sound foolish and yet it is so where did you think you saw them i don't know that i think i saw them anywhere i felt them touched them no felt them in the air i was sorting those things on the chest and not thinking of the old man or the children but singing to myself when all in a moment i felt there was a face growing out of the dark what face asked her husband looking about him for a moment it was the old man's then it got younger for a moment it was both the children's then it got older for a moment it was a strange face then it was all the faces and then it was gone yes and then it was gone where were you then old lady here at the chest well i got the better of it and went on sorting and went on singing to myself lor i says i'll think of something else something comfortable and put it out of my head so i thought of the new house and of miss bella wilfer and was thinking at a great rate with that sheet there in my hand when all of a sudden the faces seemed to be hidden in among the folds of it and i let it drop as it still lay on the floor where it had fallen mr boffin picked it up and laid it on the chest and then you ran downstairs no i thought i'd try another room and shake it off i says to myself i'll go and walk slowly up and down the old man's room three times from end to end and then i shall have conquered it i went in with the candle in my hand but the moment i came near the bed the air got thick with them with the faces yes and i even felt that they were in the dark behind the side door and on the little staircase floating away into the yard then i called you mr boffin lost in amazement looked at mrs boffin mrs boffin lost in her own fluttered inability to make this out looked at mr boffin i think my dear said the golden dustman i'll at once get rid of wegg for the night because he's coming to inhabit the bower and it might be put into his head or somebody else's if he heard this and it got about that the house is haunted whereas we know better don't we i never had the feeling in the house before said mrs boffin and i have been about it alone at all hours of the night i have been in the house when death was in it 
and i have been in the house when murder was a new part of its adventures and i never had a fright in it yet and won't again my dear said mr boffin depend on it it comes of thinking and dwelling on that dark spot yes but why didn't it come before asked mrs boffin this draft on mr boffin's philosophy could only be met by that gentleman with the remark that everything that is at all must begin at some time then tucking his wife's arm under his own that she might not be left by herself to be troubled again he descended to release wegg who being something drowsy after his plentiful repast and constitutionally of a shirking temperament was well enough pleased to stump away without doing what he had come to do and was paid for doing mr boffin then put on his hat and mrs boffin her shawl and the pair further provided with a bunch of keys and a lighted lantern went all over the dismal house dismal everywhere but in their own two rooms from cellar to cockloft not resting satisfied without giving that much chase to mrs boffin's fancies they pursued them into the yard and outbuildings and under the mounds and setting the lantern when all was done at the foot of one of the mounds they comfortably trotted to and fro for an evening walk to the end that the murky cobwebs in mrs boffin's brain might be blown away there my dear said mr boffin when they came in to supper that was the treatment you see completely worked round haven't you yes dearie said mrs boffin laying aside her shawl i'm not nervous any more i'm not a bit troubled now i'd go anywhere about the house the same as ever but eh said mr boffin but i've only to shut my eyes and what then why then said mrs boffin speaking with her eyes closed and her left hand thoughtfully touching her brow then there they are the old man's face and it gets younger the two children's faces and they get older a face that i don't know and then all the faces opening her eyes again and seeing her husband's face across the table she leaned forward to give it a pat on the cheek and sat down to supper declaring it to be the best face in the world end of section fifteen of our mutual friend by charles dickens read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com